You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A missile fizzles on Pyongyang's big day of the sun. Friday's shadow brokers leak suggests financial service and industrial IoT vulnerabilities. The Syrian regime calls hoax on nerve gas attack claims, but informed observers are unconvinced. Medical device makers might learn from mobile device makers. And clouds gather over a security unicorn. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 17th, 2017. Yesterday was the Day of the Sun in North Korea, an annual celebration marking the birthday of Kim Il-sung, founder of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. The festivities were marked by the customary Soviet-style parade of military personnel and hardware. They were also marked by an attempted launch of a missile. That launch failed, with the missile exploding seconds after launch, according to monitors at U.S. Pacific Command. As when other earlier test shots on 2016's Day of the Sun failed, there's been considerable speculation that the missile was interfered with by U.S. cyber operations. This time around, the speculation is being carried mostly in the press of three of the other four eyes, the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand, and it's again based for the most part on a priori speculation. There is, after all, no shortage of ways a missile shot can go wrong, particularly missile shots using technology developed in as closed, secretive, and self-sufficient a society as North Korea. But there's clearly a fairly widespread wish in many corners of the world that Supreme Leader Kim's ambitions for a long-range nuclear strike capability could be frustrated by quiet cyber action, short of airstrikes or invasion. U.S. and indeed Chinese policy toward the DPRK has hardened recently, with U.S. Vice President Pence and other senior officials saying that the era of strategic patience toward Pyongyang has reached its end. Senior U.S. officials are warning that a North Korean cyber attack against U.S. infrastructure is likelier than a missile strike. U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security John Kelly was among those calling this weekend for greater resilience in the nation's ability to sustain and recover from such an attack. Observers spent the weekend mulling the shadow broker's latest release of alleged NSA hacking tools. Their consensus conclusions are so far that the leaks suggest exploitation of vulnerabilities in financial systems and the industrial Internet of Things. Some of the more interesting material in the shadow broker's latest pertains to a range of Microsoft vulnerabilities, particularly against Windows Server. Microsoft says, and observers agree, that it's already quietly patched the zero days the leaks indicate. Of course, as always, when exploits are released, there's a heightened risk to unpatched systems. Turning to information operations, Syria's Assad regime, and in all probability its Russian sustainers, have undertaken a social media campaign intended to convince the susceptible that the regime's use of nerve agent against civilian populations never happened, 
and that if it did, it was a U.S. provocation. So hoax or provocation, the Damascus line is that it's all Washington's fault. The black propaganda is being associated with the hashtag Syria hoax, and it seems to be gaining traction among the gullible, the disaffected, the suspicious, and the ill-disposed. A study out of Nova Southeastern University looks into ISIS recruitment of women as suicide bombers. The study suggests that the approach is different from that used to induce men to seek martyrdom, but a close reading suggests a common theme. While the sources of disaffection differ, the promise is about the same. Those who don't fit in are proffered meaning and transcendence, redemption through violence. In the ransomware black market, Lockheed's out, Cerber is big, and Forcepoint announces discovery of newcomer Cradlecore. Cradlecore is a different animal. Most ransomware is now being monetized in the form of ransomware as a service, but Cradlecore's proprietors are selling the source code. This suggests to Forcepoint that the hoods running it either have limited experience or are doing this as a sideline or some combination of both. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is being reported in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere to have criticized Abbott Laboratories, makers of, among other products, St. Jude pacemakers, for having allegedly failed to investigate and resolve potential cybersecurity issues with its implanted devices. It's another incident that prompts concern about the security of the medical Internet of Things. We heard from Rod Schultz of Rubicon Labs, who describes this as another challenge raised for technologies built on batteries and software. He thinks the experience of mobile devices, which depend upon advances in those two areas, holds potentially valuable lessons for medical device security and safety. In this particular case, Schultz thinks that advice from the likes of Samsung, Apple, and Google would have been helpful, and that the FDA itself could profit from collaboration with them. Quote, each of those companies has processes and advice that the FDA could solicit to prevent battery, cybersecurity, and other mobile device pitfalls, Schultz observed. We are at the beginning of an incredible transformation in how medical care is given and received, and the FDA can probably do more than send out strongly worded letters. They have the power to proactively connect the world's technology pioneers with its healthcare pioneers so that the patient can benefit. End quote. In industry news, Bloomberg alleges that security unicorn Tanium is firing employees just before their stock options vest. Business Insider, which is also following the story, received a denial from Tanium, which says there's nothing to it. A company representative said, quote, We investigated this allegation, and the data confirmed that there is no pattern or practice of terminating employees based on their vesting cliff date, end quote. The Bloomberg story also notes that, quote, at least nine senior executives have left in the past eight months, including the company's president, chief marketing officer, chief accounting officer, and the chief of operations and finance, end quote. Privately held Tanium, thought to be preparing for an initial public offering, is currently valued at $3.7 billion. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. 
Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42, which is their threat intel team. Uh, Rick, welcome back. Uh, we wanted to uh, touch base today about uh, connected cars and security and what you describe as first principles. At the RSA conference in San Francisco a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with a few of the automobile manufacturers and discuss some of the design principles for securing the connected car. Okay, It was fascinating, and it reminded me how important design is to building secure solutions. Specifically, what design assumptions do you make about the connected car? So here's what I mean. For instance, you consider that your connected car is a mobile network of networks or is it more like an endpoint, like a laptop or a mobile phone? Or is it more like an operating system like Windows or Linux? Because your choice here will dictate how you secure it. And nobody has come to any agreement about what any of those things are. So let me just talk about some of those implications. Uh, the connected car is similar to a network of networks because everybody that I talk to uh, from the automobile manufacturer says that it has at least two operational networks. They got the entertainment system, and the car's functional and safety systems like the engines and the brakes and the airbags. Now, both of these networks must have access to the internet or at least have a way to communicate outside of the car in order to receive updates, that's clear. How to do that securely is not particularly clear. We know that the entertainment system must have direct access to the internet for it to be of any value. Um, how the functional and safety systems communicate out is not that obvious. Um, but if the connected car is a network of networks, how do you firewall those two sides away from each other? Because everybody that I talk to knows that the system network should never communicate with the entertainment system. Right. Because that's just asking for trouble. So this has not been resolved yet. But if you consider it like a laptop, right? So laptops have entertainment systems that sit on top of the operating system that communicates the various components of the device. Okay, that is a model we all use today, but it is also the model that is routinely breached by bad guys. All right. So if we choose that model, at least we're familiar with it, but we'll, we will also get the same problems we have today on the Internet that in all endpoints have today, and maybe that's not the best approach. Now, the third one is if the car is more like an operating system. So perhaps we can learn a thing or two about closed versus open architectures like iOS versus Android. In all three design assumptions, we, we know we have to install some basic security controls. We need to prevent and detect uh, behind the internet connections, whatever they will be. 
We need basic controls between the entertainment system and the car's functional systems. We need basic controls from the proximity access points like keyless entry and GPS and OnStar and car-to-car communication for safety of autonomous vehicles and the like. All those things have to be built in there. What became clear to me when I was talking to these folks is that uh, these discussions of the current car communication systems are probably not adequate. The current systems they have probably won't do us any good. If we start to bolt the security on top of what already exists, it's probably not going to work that well. And it might be time to throw everything out and start from scratch, a la Elon Musk, and design the connected car from the ground up using first principles. Um, so I, it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes forward, and uh, uh, nothing is set in stone at this point. Yeah, it's interesting to me that the the notion that uh, just like you know certain brands of cars have reputations for safety. I'm thinking of Volvo, for example. Uh, could cars have reputations for you know protecting you in the cyber realm? Some some brands doing a better job than others. Yeah, and could you market that as a thing, right? Uh, right. You know, yeah. So maybe so. Okay, and uh, and uh, most of the automobile manufacturers are just now getting their hands around all of that. Yeah. All right, Rick Howard. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.